Man, we're so glad that you guys are here. Um, I'm Pastor Jared. I'm the Creative Arts Pastor here at the church. And uh, as you guys may have heard, we are in a series uh, called God First. And we're talking about um, God First in every area of our life. But specifically right now, we're talking about money. And uh, here's the good news. And that is uh, we only talk about money once a year for all the people who say, every time I come to church, we're talking about money. Don't worry. We've already taken up the offering. We're not going to ask you to give anything. Matter of fact, if you're here and you're a visitor, I would uh, hold your purse or your wallet close to you because I know some of these people and I don't trust them all anyway. So. Um, so I have a daughter named Kylie who's three years old, and uh, many of you may have seen her. She's in hot pink today. And... Um, I love as a parent all the different stages of life, you know, from the sitting up to the crawling to the walking. And there's just all these things as a parent that you love. It's like the new, it's fresh. And one of the things that my wife and I really love right now is just the stage of buying her presents, like whether it's birthday or just randomly or through Christmas time, because she gets so excited about it. Now, it's not necessarily just about her, but I have that joyful, cheerful feeling of giving because I love seeing her reaction. And uh, her birthday was in July, it was July 1st. And um, so we had all the family and all of our friends, we got together and she had a ton of presents and she just gets so excited, like seeing that present there. She's like, can I open it? Can I open it? You know, just wants to open it. Whether it's a bag with, you know, the colored paper in it or whether it's wrapped. I mean, she wants to help you open your presents on your birthday and help you open your presents. How many of y'all had that kid that was like that? Okay. And so, um, but what I love is just seeing her face. And so as she's like taking the paper out and she looks, she always is like, <gasps> what is it? <laughs> and so we'll take it out and show her. She's like, oh, okay. I want another one, you know? And it's like, she's moving on to the next one and she's taking it out. She's like, oh, she said, it's beautiful, daddy. What is it? <laughs> and, and so I don't necessarily do it for her. I really kind of do it for me. Now you may be here, you're a parent, the same thing. Like you love that whole gift thing. You love Christmas time. Like you're excited. Christmas is almost here. Um, you may be like my wife. Like you do all your Christmas shopping on Black Friday. I mean, you're done for the year for the next year. I see a couple of head nods and that's cool. You know, that's cool. I mean, you have the gift of buying gifts for both yourself and your friends and family and stuff like that. Um, but some of you I know are the opposite, right? Just a head nod. If you like hate shopping to the T, just kind of a little nod your head like, that's me. Don't like it. All right, Ray, I got hands going up. Hey, I understand that too. I mean, if it came down to you going shopping on a Saturday with your wife, you're, you would rather stay at home and witness to, uh, to the Jehovah's Witnesses coming to your house on Saturday. You're like, I'll just stay home. I'd take that over going shopping. And so you hate the whole process. Like you hate the, the shopping lines. You hate, uh, you know, just going out spending money. Um, your wife's like, hey, baby, look, let's go to Raleigh this weekend. And uh, look, we can go out to eat. I'll let you even... Uh, uh, let you go to your favorite place to eat and you're like okay and then she's like shopping we're, we're gonna go shopping and then all of a sudden you start thinking of a list of excuses like you can come up with like man you know I've really been wanting to add an addition onto our house I think I'll start that <laughs> tomorrow and so so you're probably the last minute shopper like you know when it comes to gifts you get the same thing every year because you procrastinate y'all y'all know exactly what I'm talking about so what do you always get you get a gift card right? Always get them a gift card. Now, if you're here, I'm talking to you and you're the last minute shopper. 
Your family members are tired of getting Dollar General gift cards, okay? Get them something fresh. They want something new. Um, but you know, the funny thing is that we're, that's, that's kind of how we are when it comes to our giving as it relates to church and, and God. Uh, some of us give very, very uh, generously and we do it joyfully and cheerfully. And some of you, it's like, man, you can't stand it and you don't want to do it. Maybe you don't do it. Maybe you do it, but you do it reluctantly. And there's so these, all these different excuses. Um, but those of you that do give, you know, hey, I know I'm contributing to the kingdom. I know the money that I'm giving is, you know, God gave it to me and I'm kind of giving it back. And I know that mission work is taking place and all these different things. And so you give that 10% and maybe you do that um, kind of in a grudgingly way. Like you like, joyfully, yeah, I don't know if I write my check joyfully. I don't know if I give my money joyfully. That'd be a stretch to say that. But you do it because you just heard growing up your whole life, man, you're supposed to give 10%. You're supposed to give 10%. And so you've heard that over and over and over again. And so you do it really out of uh, not wanting to feel guilty. And maybe you're here and you're that kind of hesitant giver. Uh, You think that uh, all the church wants is your money and here you are, it's the first time in church in a year and what are they talking about? They're talking about money. Uh, You've seen the TV evangelist with the hair slicked back, like, you know, that's not moving. They could go out in Hurricane Katrina for two hours and come back in and it's just like perfect. Y'all know what I'm talking about? I mean, they got the Matt Bartlett hair going on. It's just like perfect. And I always say that because I'm jealous. I'm just jealous of him. Uh, And then come to find out you've seen all these different scandals where these pastors, they're embezzling money and there's these things that you see on the news and -and so-and-so and and, and so you, you're hesitant in your giving because you're afraid of what's going to happen with your money. Maybe you've researched the Old Testament and the New Testament, and you clearly see tithe laid out in the Old Testament. And you go, I know what it says, I know what it says, but what does it say in the New Testament? Like, where's the tithe? Where's the 10% as it relates to the New Testament? So here's what I hope that we do today. And I hope that we have a fresh, a new perspective as it relates to our giving and our tithes. Uh, I believe that uh, God wants us uh, to have our minds renewed, not just in certain areas, but specifically uh, in money. Because here's the things I think we can agree on. Uh, If you would agree with me, you can just nod your head that our country, one, has a spending problem. Would you agree with that statement? Um, Number two, that I would say most Americans live well beyond their means and what they need. Everybody would agree with that? Statistics show that roughly about 78% of um, people who are incarcerated are there because of money. And uh, the number one divorcing factor uh, is not because of adultery, it's because of money. And so this is why I believe that throughout the scriptures, there are over 2,000 verses that relate to money and giving because I knew, or Jesus knew, that it would be something that we would struggle with. When you think about it, Jesus spent nearly 15% of his ministry talking about that, more than faith, more than heaven and hell. I mean, he knew that we would wrestle with this topic and this issue of money. It's not just an issue, it really is the, the issue, I believe, for Americans. And uh, so here's what we know. The Old Testament, when we look to the Old Testament, we look in Leviticus, uh, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Second Chronicles, we see this principle that's talking about the tithe, which means tenth or 10%. 
And over the last two weeks, if you weren't here, you can go back and watch them online at bridgechurch.cc and you can see Pastor Farrell as he talked about that. Um, the illustration of us giving 10%, not off of our net that we make, but off of the gross. You say, why the gross? Well, when people ask you how much money you make when you go to apply for a loan on a house, you don't tell them how much you net, you tell them how much you make. And so the 10% is all of what we've been given. Well, we see that just for illustration purposes, so we're on the same page and everybody knows how to move that decimal point. I thought we would do a quick illustration um, just to make sure those of you that hate doing math that you got even math coming to church today. And if you had $2,000 in one month, if you made $2,000 in one month and you were told to tithe on that 10% of 2,000, you would tithe how much? 200, give yourselves a round of applause. Now, if you made $2,567.37 a month and we told you to tithe on 10%, how much would you tithe? I heard 70, 73.737 at the end of that. Okay, now, all right, wait a second. And then you're like, oh no, my check wasn't... Uh, in a whole number, so 256, does that mean I'm supposed to round up to 74? If I give 73%, is God gonna be mad at me? Like, you know, God's going, to, I can't believe you, a penny, really? You couldn't give me the penny, you know? Two. And so when you look at that, some of y'all are just safe. You're like, I just round up to $257. That's what some of the people in the first service said. Uh, but when you look at it this way, I mean, and you really get down to making sure it's just exact and precise, it almost becomes a little bit like legalistic. Doesn't it? I mean, do, do we think that God wants us to just get down to the nitty gritty and to the actual sin? I mean, was that the intention or motive? We're going to talk about that a little bit. Um, so here's one thing that is true and that we can all agree on. And hopefully if you don't agree now, you'll agree after we kind of present the information is that uh, Jesus endorses giving 100%. Jesus endorses it. It's very clear. In Matthew chapter 22, now, you can go back and read the whole passage, 15 through 22. We have uh, this picture of Jesus. And like always, the Pharisees are trying to trap Jesus in his words and, and what he said. And so this was no um, different. They wanted to come to him and ask him about whether they should give their money to Caesar, what they should they do with their money as it relates to God. And so they had a coin. You can go back and read the story. And they basically present to him and says, Jesus, you know, are, are we supposed to give money to Caesar? Or are we supposed to give money to God? And Jesus responds to them and he says, you know, give Caesar what is Caesar's and then you are supposed to give God what is God's. So what we can take away from that is there's a certain portion that we're entrusted to pay to, you know, the government, which we do. And then there is a certain portion that we're supposed to give to God. The question is, how much is that? How much is God that we believe at the bridge? How much is God's? It's all right? Everything that we have, everything is, is God. So what do we give back specifically? When we look at Matthew 23, we have another uh, example where Jesus is talking specifically about the Pharisees. And, we, and when we read this, um, it's kind of, um, it's a woe. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, pretenders, and I'm reading out the Amplified Version this morning. He, he calls them hypocrites, and he says, for you give a tenth of your mint and dill and cumin. And those of us who do any type of cooking understand that this is herbs and spices. And he says, but you've neglected and omitted the weightier, more important matters of the law. 
right and justice and mercy and fidelity. These you ought particularly to have done without neglecting the others. Now, what's interesting to know is when you look at that specific passage and contrast that with the Old Testament, uh, we talked about a few weeks ago that, you know, the tithe was taken off of livestock, cattle, and then also off the first fruits. But many people believe, you know, nowhere does it say or is mentioned anything about tithing on spices and herbs. But what the Pharisees are saying here is, is I follow this to the T. Like, I don't just give, you know, my big things to God. Like, I'm even tithing on the little things like mint and dill and cumin. But what we don't see is Jesus say to them, wait, why are you still tithing? That's Old Testament principle. Like, you're still giving a tenth? No, that wasn't his point of, of talking to them in this passage. The point was, yeah, you're doing all these things for the Old Testament law, but you're neglecting some of the bigger matters like showing justice and mercy and these things you should do along with the tithe. So I think that's true for us as it relates to Christians, people who come to church, or maybe it's just true in your personal life. There's a lot of things that we hold tight to in one area, but we don't want to move or budge in the other area. Like we have people in this church, I know you're going to be shocked, who are all about serving, serving. They'll serve every time the door, every time we have a sign up, every time there's something they'll serve. But when it relates to their money and we talk about giving, they're like, man, ain't nobody got time for that right? And then there's the opposite. You may be here and you see you give, give, God's blessed. You don't have any problem giving, giving, giving. When it comes to serving, it's like, man, I ain't down with babies getting snot on my shirt, you know? And so we have these different things. So many want to use the New Testament and the Old Testament on this topic. And they're like, okay, so, so what am I supposed to do? You tell me, what am I supposed to do? Well, here's what I know for a fact. When we look at Jesus's words, his disciples as we look throughout his ministry one common thing that we find is that there is always a higher standard of living as it relates from the new testament to the old testament if you read in matthew chapter 5 you see where jesus is talking about the commandments and he says you've heard that it was said not to commit murder you know don't go out and kill someone don't take their life he said but i say to you that if anyone basically has those murderous thoughts that wishes those bad intentions for someone that basically you've committed murder. You've already sinned. You didn't have to do the act. Jesus's way was higher in the New Testament than it was the Old Testament. Same thing was true for adultery, right? You've heard it said, don't commit adultery. Don't go out and sleep with another man, sleep with another woman. And that, that would include, you know, an affair, whether it's online or whatever, you meet up. He's saying, well, here's what I tell you. If you just look at another woman or man lustfully, then you've already committed adultery in your heart. And so we see the contrast between the Old Testament and the New Testament. He even says, you've heard that it said, don't take God's name in vain. Don't, don't swear by God's name. He's saying, I say to you, don't swear at all. So one thing that we can take away as we look at a thorough study of Scripture is that Jesus' way always called for greater faithfulness and commitment than what was required in the Old Testament. So the question is, can giving possibly be an exception to the rule? Would anyone want to be, uh, who, who considers themselves faithful, want to do less than what was required from the Old Testament believers? When it comes to tithing, people say, you know, what well, says that Jesus said, you know, I haven't come uh, to fulfill but destroy the law. But we see in Hebrews chapter 10 that it says the law is just a foreshadow of the good things that were to come. And so I want us today to take a glimpse of what it looks like to give in the New Testament church and New Testament giving. 
So you can kind of follow along if you want to read it or just write down your notes. John chapter 12, um, just want to kind of paraphrase a little bit of what's going on. Jesus is in the town of Bethany and uh, he's there with some of the disciples and Mary and Martha are there. Maybe you remember this story and Martha is waiting on Jesus. She's making sure everything's just perfect and, and uh, Mary is there and she's sitting there at Jesus's feet and she's so moved because she knows that Jesus is the son of God. He's the Christ. And she's there and she takes this bottle of perfume. Uh, it's like pure nard. And many scholars believe that it represented an amount equal to a life savings. Like that's how much this bottle of perfume was worth. And so she takes this bottle and she breaks it and she begins to pour it on Jesus's feet and begins to wash his feet with this perfume. And she's using her hair. And then all of a sudden, uh, what do we see? We see the disciples who uh, began to ridicule specifically one, and that was Judas. And Judas is mad, like he cannot believe what is he's seeing taking place. Because, you know, Judas was all about the money. You know, he ended up selling Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. He was the, the treasurer, if you would, for the disciples. He was stealing uh, from their ministry, and Jesus knew that. But he's, he's seeing her pour this out, and he's like, why, what a waste. Like, why is she doing that? You realize what we could have done? And then he tries to say something noble, like, we could have taken this money, and we could go out, and we could help people. We could help the poor. We could, and, and maybe you could say, well, we could just cash it all in, and we could why don't you give 10% of that? There's no need to give all of that, Mary. Like just, you could give 10% and we could walk around and the disciples, they could get some new sandals and a couple new tunics and walk around. And, but that's not what we see at all. She's so moved, she just, she gives it all to Jesus because she understood who he was and she understood the price. And when you understand the price, you make a sacrifice. We also see this, Similar in uh, Matthew chapter 19, when the story of the rich young ruler, he confronts Jesus. He says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he said, why do you call me good? Only God is good. And he, he was admitting who he was. And he says, you got to keep the commandments. He said, I've kept them all since I was a little boy. And he said, well, there's one thing you lack. And he says, okay, great. What is that one thing? What must I do? What must I have? And Jesus says, what? All your stuff, everything you got follow me. And it was hard for him to hear because that was his life. That was everything he had. He said, wait, you want me to get rid of it all? He says, yes, all of it and follow me. We don't see him go, okay, so, so if I look back at the Old Testament, Jesus, you know, it only required me to give 10%, okay? Can I just like take 10% of it and give to you? I mean, is that a possibility? Because Jesus would have said, no. We don't see him say, well, you know, on the Old Testament, they were making sacrifices and they were giving the first fruits and cattle. Could I go like round up a couple goats, a couple, you know, lambs, you know, may offer? Jesus would have said, no. Because for him, that was his life. That was his God. And he knew if he was going to be able to follow Jesus, he was going to have to rid himself of that. Can I like pray a prayer? You got a card I can check off? Anything like that? Jesus would have said, no. Because if he knew that price, he would have made that sacrifice. Luke 21, we see the story of the widow who gave her last two mites. And she's standing there outside like the synagogue. They used to have these boxes that had in, in, engraves or encryption um, 
inscription, sorry, on them uh, for what the money would be used towards. Sometimes they used it to help the poor and um, the widow, different things like that. And so Jesus is uh, observing and this widow comes and all she has are these two mites, which when you look at it, the translated, it's like the lowest money available. It's two copper coins. And you know, we've got the penny, which is made out of copper, then nickel and dime and so on. And she has just two coins and it doesn't get any poorer for her. And the rich, they're walking up and they're giving out of their wealth, okay? They're able to give, they're giving out of their wealth. But we see this woman who is poor and she's able to give out of sacrifice because what she gives, she's not gonna have anymore. And so he sees her doing this and, he, and, and she knew that that money was gonna go to help the poor and support God's worship. So ultimately it was going for God and he is moved by this example that she gives. And she gives it all. I mean, that's it. She, that's all she had. And she understood that the kingdom work needed to go forth and the price that needed to be paid. And so for her, she understood the price and she made a sacrifice. But here's what's common for all three of these illustrations, these stories is either all was given or all was required. And those that gave, they gave out of obedience and they gave out of the right attitude. When we are committed to something, you could agree with this, we're not really committed until we're financially committed to it. Think about that for just a second. We're not committed to something until we're financially committed to it. Hence, dating. All right, ladies, the guy can talk the talk, but until he takes you out to the nice restaurant or just shows, hey, that he's gonna spend a little money on you that we don't know, he ain't really committed. My wife and I, when we first started dating, I was uh, emceeing a pageant for my mom. She was choreographing the dance for the girls at Spring Creek. And it was almost one of those like love at first sight things, okay? Uh, I was all decked out. I had the tie on and the suit being the MC, And she, you know, had a nice black dress on. And uh, we started talking and we hit it off talking about church, which was a good indication anyway. We we're talking about worship and talking about church. And um, I just kind of knew I was attracted to her and I wanted to spend a little more time, find out all that, you know, she was about. And I could tell, you know, she was kind of into me too. And so I asked her, you know, I said, hey, what you got going on after this thing's over? And she said nothing, which later found out she had a date with another guy and she ditched him to go out with me. <laughs> That's right. So, so, you know, I was like, I want to show her, you know, that I'm, that I'm committed to this thing. You know, I'm committed to to exploring and see if she's the one, you know, dating to marry. And uh, so where did I take her when you want to show a girl, you know, where you want to go? Waffle House. <laughs> Seriously, I took her to Waffle House. <laughs> it was like the only thing that was open. But, and, and so, you know, we went and I think both of us paid for our own meals. But so as we got to, you know, date more, I started taking her to the nice restaurants. You know, I take her to the Outback, you know, and be like, you know, get you, get you a steak, you know. Hamburger steak, not a real steak yet, you know, just the first day, easy. Then after that, you know, we, we go out on dates to take her to the chef and the farmer in Kinston. Guys, if you want brownie points, if you want, you know, just to get in the goods with your wife, take her to the chef and the farmer. Um, and, and, but once that money started falling, you know, I'm committed to her. When I'm able to give our money, because that's the thing that we hold on to the tightest, isn't it? Is our money. And so when we're able to let that go to things that we, we love, it shows our commitment to it. 
See, when we look at the goal of the book of Hebrews, those of you that might not know this, but Hebrews contrasts the Old Testament covenant of, through Moses to the New Testament covenant through Jesus. And we, and we see a resounding theme all throughout Hebrews. And that is this, that something better, something greater, something more superior is come through Jesus Christ. When you look at chapter one, verse four, it says he became as much superior Chapter 7, verse 21, we have a better hope as priests ourselves. In verse 22, it says the new covenant is a better covenant. In verse 6, chapter 8, it says the ministry of Christ is a more excellent one. It's a better covenant. It's a better promise. In chapter 9, verse 23, it says the new covenant is one with better sacrifices. So what he's saying is, yeah, the Old Testament worked for what it was and it was good, but what we have now through Jesus is so much better for us. So how is it that we can conclude that we can give less than what was required for the nation of Israel under the Old Covenant? If they could tithe under the law, how much more should we be able to give under grace. Think about that. Did God really send Jesus and make a better covenant and better promise with us so that we can do what was less than required for the nation of Israel? Did he liberate us from the Old Testament law so that we could have more physical stuff for ourselves? I mean, was that the goal? Jesus came, he said, okay, I believe he abolished the law and given the Old Testament we're not supposed to give. So is that just so we can have more stuff? Because I think we've pretty much got that taken care of. We've got enough stuff. So where can we find what true New Testament giving looks like? If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Um, we see this picture of Paul and he's writing to the church of Corinth and he's uh, given them a model, an example, and some things that had kind of taken place in the church of Macedonia. And this illustrates what true, like radical giving looks like. And in verse one, it says, and now brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Now, one thing that, is, that you need to note here is the, where Macedonia was located, it was in a very um, great location. They are known at this time for their timber that they have surrounding uh, that area and as well as precious metals that they had. So um, they had the stuff, they had the money, they had the things that they needed. And typically you would see that uh, in, a, in a location like this, they would have all that they needed, but something happened to this church. And in verse two, it says that they experienced a trial of some sort. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy, you might wanna underline that, underline that word joy, and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. When you look at the text, it literally means a wealth of liberality. And it shows us in this passage that not only are we able to give, but even in tough times and trials that we're able to remain faithful. Because the natural tendency for us is when bad things happen, when the money starts, you know, stops, that we, you know, cut back, okay? Now, we said this last week, and I'm not going to take a whole lot of time, but, you know, if you don't have the money to give or expected to give, go back and watch that, um, the message from last week. But what we see illustrated in this passage right now is they're experiencing a severe trial and they're able to give in rich generosity. Verse three says, for I testify that they gave as much as they were able to, like they gave everything they possibly could and even beyond 
their ability. They gave beyond their means. They gave beyond what they had. They gave beyond what they were able to afford because they knew the work that was going to go forth. And they said, I want to be a part of that. I know that the gospel is going to be preached. And I want to fulfill and follow Jesus' words. And so they gave beyond their ability entirely on their own. In other words, they weren't pressured. They didn't have somebody going up there. All right, I can't believe y'all aren't doing this. You need to step it up. You need everybody take out a 20 right now and reach over. I mean, I've always wanted to be able to like reach over and grab my neighbor's wallet, you know, or their checkbook and just write a check and give how I've always wanted to give. Haven't y'all? And, and that's, that's what they're doing. They're, they're given beyond their ability and their means. And here's what you need to note, because you can read that and go, oh, that's great, that's great. But what we see in the next verse is their attitude. Because it's very important about our, how our attitude is and how our heart is when we give. It says in verse four, they urgently pleaded. I would make a note there, asterisk, highlight, underline, whatever you do. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service of the Lord's people. They were like literally begging, I wanna be a part of this. Come on, please, please let me help. What can I do? Please let me help. Is there anything else I can give toward? They are pleading to help. And it says, for the privilege of sharing in the service of the Lord's people. And then he goes on to say, and they exceeded, they went above and beyond what we had thought. We had a baseline or a standard and they went way beyond that, above our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. In other words, they put God first and when you put God first, you can't help but to commit to what he wants you to do. They understood the price and they chose to make the sacrifice. And so what we see is that New Testament giving, number one, as I fill in the blank, is voluntary. You're like, voluntary? What I thought it was required. Well, here's what I want to explain to you. If you read 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, it says, each of you should give what you have decided. Now, I would probably mark or underline that word too and, and look that up because this is a very important word to note when you read this uh, in the original text. The word decided uh, comes from the Greek word, and I'm not a Greek scholar by no means, but praareo. It, it is taken from that word, and it means to choose deliberately, intentionally. It's not done by chance. It's not done just randomly. It's not a, a secondary thought. It's a calculated choice. And when you do something deliberately, you, you think about it, you pray about it. And what he's saying here is each of, you is uh, each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compul compulsion, for God loves a what? Cheerful giver. So you have to decide, number one in your heart, what God has moved you to, because it may be different from what he's asked your neighbor to give you. You may be blessed more than your neighbor's been blessed. And so God has required either you or them to give more. But he's saying, you need to figure out what God is saying and deliberately, intentionally give that amount. And then on top of that, you don't just give it. You need to do it with the right attitude and that attitude being cheerful and not reluctant or under compulsion. Now, when you think about that, you know, people, this verse, people always use that. Well, this just says I'm supposed to give when I feel led, like, 
You may have heard somebody say that. Well, I just give what I feel led. Here's the problem. Probably nine times out of 10, it's probably less than what God required of them unless they sought God. But when you understand the importance and the context of it, it's not by accident. We should never just give to God by accident. It should be intentional. It's not like I used to give, you know, in Sunday school. You know, the offering plate would come by and you're like, oh man, and you're checking your, wa- your pockets and you pull out a bunch of change, you know, and it's got lint in there too. You drop the lint in, and, you know, guitar picks. That's what I always have in my, I guarantee I got a guitar pick in my pocket right now. Look, three of them, all right? Just all kinds of stuff you take out and the ushers are taking it out. Like, how did this, you know, even get in there? That's not how I was saying. He's saying that you need to seek God and what he's moved in you to give, that's what you need to give. You need to be cheerful about it. You need to be joyful. And this is important. Some of you here, you may give faithfully every single week, every single month. You give the tithe, you give 10%. Maybe you give more. But maybe you do it just because you were told you need to. And you don't want to have that guilty conscience. And so you give it under compulsion. And you give it reluctantly. Well, here's what I would say to you then. You keep giving and pray that God would change your attitude and your mind. He would renew your mind about your money because I heard one pastor say, don't let your internal sin that you have become an external sin. You don't stop giving just because you feel that. You pray that God would move your heart and change it as you struggle and seek clarity. The second thing is New Testament giving is generous. When we look at back one verse, 2 Corinthians 9, 6, it says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly also reaps what? Sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also what? Reap generously. Now, we live, and, and I, what I would consider, and it feels like it's getting even smaller now with kids, uh, you know, a, a smaller house. And um, I was tired of my house bringing down the whole value of our neighborhood, our yard. You know, people would come. This thing is always so tricky too. I don't even know. Oh, there we go. Uh, I was tired of our yard looking like, you know, something like that. You remember the movie The Burbs? Like, we were those neighbors people were not, never wanted to, to see. And so I said, you know, I'm going to change that. I'm gonna, our uh, yard is going to look awesome this year. And so um, one of the guys who goes to our church, he uh, does um, landscaping. He came and helped fertilize our yard and put some seed down, man. And I was having to cut that thing like every two times a week. I mean, it was just... And um, so, but it was looking good. I was proud of my yard, man. It was green. Uh, Pastor Andrew dropped me off one, one day. He's like, man, your yard's looking good. I was like, thanks, man, because it meant a lot coming from him, you know. And, um, and so, but one of the things I don't like to do is weed eat. I mean, I, I do it maybe every two weeks, and I have kind of real sandy yard. So when you, when you weed eat and it has sand under it, the, the sand comes back, and you feel like you're getting sandblasted, your legs and your face and... So, you know, I just decided I was going to go get some grass killer at uh, the pro turf up here. And so when I do something, I wanted to go all out. So I got me a nice backpack for, I mean, this ain't, this ain't the Roundup bottle, okay, y'all? I mean, this is, I went all out and I, I bought the grass killer. And on the back, there's instructions about how you want to, you know, dilute the, you know, what kind of percentage you want to have, like a 4% or versus a 13%. And um, so I was like, man, I want, I want this thing to be strong. Like, I want to go ahead and knock it out. So it's strategic. It says, you know, if you want like a 13% solution, 
then you need to put like, you know, four tablespoons per four, four gallons or like, I don't know, all this stuff. Well, you know me, I don't have any measuring stuff or anything like that. So I just, you know, pour it out until I thought what was good. And uh, 13%, we're going for 30%, you know. And so I filled up about half grass killer, half water, you know. And um, so I'm, you know, pumping up this thing and I'm, I'm pressing the button and it's just like sputtering out. And it's like, just like bubbles are coming out. I'm like, what in the world is going on? This thing is broke. And, and so, I mean, it's just barely coming out. And so I look down and, and this tip, you can turn it. You can adjust the flow of the, the spray. And so I was like, oh. So I opened this thing up wide open, buddy. I mean, I opened it up and it was just flowing. I was pumping. I was walking this fast. I was just knocking out that grass beside my house, around the flower beds, landscaping. I'm talking about sowing generously, buddy. I was sowing generously with this stuff, okay? And... So the next day I get up and I look outside and I can see, you know, it's turning a little bit brown, nothing major. And I was like, okay, great. You know, maybe, we'll want, maybe it'll be dead by the time I cut the grass next Friday or Saturday. And I won't have to worry about, you know, cutting the edges of my yard. And so my wife and I, we went um, out of town that next day and we came back home and uh, we pulled up and she goes, what happened to our yard? And this is what our... Um, So I told her I just built a two-foot racetrack around our entire yard. And so this is just an example of by the driveway, but my entire house and all of our flower beds and everything have a two-foot brown border, okay? So once again, I'm bringing the value of the neighborhood down again. But so, I, I mean, I sowed it generously, man. I didn't let anything hold back. I'm just pouring out and I'm pouring out and I'm pouring out and that's what I get. Now, the good news to the story is I have a lawnmower that has no brakes, so it's a lot easier to cut my yard now, um, you know, because I don't have to stop because I, I got a safety net around everything. But, you know, this is the same principle that we see here. When Paul writes, you know, the person who sows sparingly, you can't give a little bit and expect you're just going to get a whole lot back. Now, we're not talking specifically just about money. I mean, there's a lot of areas that this flows into but he says, when you give generously, then you'll reap generously. When we look at Acts chapter 4, we see this picture of the church and how they're just giving everything they had, their possessions, they're selling, they're giving away for the needs of the people, making sure that no one was lacking. And they said, here, you take this money, you take this stuff I have, and they gave it to the apostles and said, use it however you see fit. And so where do we get that about giving to the church? That we entrust a portion of what we have to the local church. Now, many of you give, you know, maybe Habitat for Humanity. You maybe give to Red Cross or Relay for Life, and, and that's awesome. You know, it's great to be able to give in other ways, but there's a portion that we give to the local church. And maybe you feel like, you know, you can't give to the church, maybe because of the leadership of the church. Maybe you go to a different church, you're just visiting us on Sunday morning, and you don't give because you're like, man, I don't, I don't want to give because I don't trust the church. I don't trust the leadership in the church. Here's what I would say to you. Um, if you can't trust your pastors and your leadership with giving, why would you want to trust them with your spiritual growth? And if you can't, I would say that you pray about it, you meet with them, and you work it out with God. Because I think the spiritual growth... <laughs> 
is really important. So don't sit. If you can't sit under someone's teaching because of that, ask God to change you. Meet with that person. Work it out. But don't stay if you feel like you can't do it. Why would you want to trust them with your spiritual growth? The other questions I feel like we need to answer is why is it that people are okay with giving their time but not their money? Like some of you here, I know you serve in like five areas. Like you serve bridge kids twice a month. You're in the parking lot. You know, you're volunteering at the soup kitchen. The soup kitchen is gone today. We, and uh, you're like, man, I will give my time. Anything you need, call me and we can count on you. And, and you're like that. But when it comes to your money, you're like, you know, that's, that's my money. You hold on to it. Some of you, like your talents, you, you'll play in the worship band and you'll be like, got the great, greatest personality. You're like, I will, I'll hold the Mickey hand up, I'll wave. You know, I'll be happy to give towards the Kentucky. You know, I'm sold out in all these areas. I'll use my personality, I'll use my singing ability, I'll use it all. But when it comes to giving, you're like, nah. I'm cool with giving God my talents. I'm cool with giving God my time, but it's my money. Because many of us, I think, have been saved and our mind's been renewed about serving, but I think for many of us, our mind hasn't been renewed as it relates to money. And so many excuses are given, aren't they, for not giving? I mean, here's a few that, that we hear, you know, the church will misuse my money. They're going to misuse it. Let me just say this. The church has misused money. Every church has probably misused money. Starbucks has misused your money. And I know you're going to be shocked and it's going to be the first time you've ever thought this or heard this and you're going to be walking away going, I can't believe that. But our government has misused your money. <laughs> People say, well, God understands. I prayed, he understands, God understands. You know, I know what he says, but we weren't. God doesn't understand if he gave you a clear command. It's like a parent telling your kid to clean your room, right? Clean your room. They come back out, did you clean your room? I kind of cleaned my room. Anybody ever had that parent? You didn't kind of clean your room, right? My dad used to always, as, you know, when I was a kid, they'd go clean your room, and I'd go just put everything in the closet. Don't look in the closet, you know? My dad went in there one time, and he, he was, you know, taking all the stuff out of my closet, and he found molded hot dogs. He's like, how do you get molded hot dogs in the closet, right? But when we're given a clear instruction, we're held accountable to that instruction. And the same thing is true for giving. You say, well, that's Old Testament. Let me ask you this question. Do you believe that the earth will ever be flooded again? No? I mean, you're like, I've seen the rainbow. You know, I saw a rainbow the other day, my promise that God will never flood. Why do you believe that? I mean, that's Old Testament. You can't pick and choose and discern what you want to believe. We can't be naive. So when we think about what we can do, I mean, just imagine this. What if we... And I know not everybody falls into this category, but what if those who have credit card debt, if you were just able to give the amount that you were paying on interest to the church, what you could do with that? Imagine the money that would be paid and go towards missions and go towards helping the homeless to all these projects that we have. If we could just give the interest off credit cards, it would be better spent, wouldn't it, on kingdom work? And if you're here and you're wrestling financially, if you're really struggling, if you've gotten into a lot of debt, we've got a class coming up October the 19th called I Was Broke, Now I'm Not. There's a billboard coming up. It's a free class, I believe. And you can come to that and figure out how to get your financial house in order because once you get that 
money taken care of and you're able to live in, with a budget, you're able to give. I mean, it's amazing. It's amazing the, the freedom that you will feel, not just yourself, but in your spouse and your relationship and then also the freedom that you're able to give. You know, people uh, always talk about money and one of the statements that, you know, people make is, I just, I want to know exactly what my money is going towards. I want to know exactly what it is I'm giving it to. See, money, if you're saying that, money is not a matter of the wallet. It's a matter of the heart. When we give ourselves first to God, like that church in Macedonia, when we're able to give ourselves first to the Lord, we can't help but to give out of the gratitude that we feel. But many of us, we understand Christ laid down his life for us, but we're not able to lay down our checkbook for him. It's like, I get, I get he laid his life down, but it's a big stretch for me to lay down my checkbook. My daughter, you know, she's three, and um, we, we have a little piggy bank. We put money in her piggy bank. Well, she'll get money and get to put it in her piggy bank. And if I went to her and I said, Kylie, I want to give you $10, 10 $1 bills, okay? Will you want $10? She'd probably be like, can I have a sucker? <laughs> You know, she doesn't understand the principle behind money. But if I was like, I'm going to give you $10, you could buy 100 suckers with this. She'd be like, oh, you know, blown away. I said, but here's the deal. I'm going to give you $10. Here's the only thing you got to give me is $1 back. $1. You keep nine, you give me one back. And she says, okay, sounds like a deal. And she gives me the dollar back. And she does that every month. Every time I give it to her, I know one thing, that she's obedient and that I can trust her. And so what I'll be able to do is give her more. And I freely give that to her because she's generous. She obeyed me. Now, if I were to do that to every person in the congregation, which would have been an awesome sermon illustration, wouldn't it? Everybody gets $10 today. You just got to put $1 out as you, you know, go out the door. You could say, that'd be easy. I can give $1. I can give 10%. There it is right there. And you give it. People always say this, though. If I had more, I'd, if, I, if I had more, I, I, if I had a million dollars, I'd give. No, you wouldn't. It's a principle. If you can't give one out of 10, you can't give 10 out of 100. You can't give 100 out of 1,000. You can't give 1,000 out of 100,000. I'm not going to go anymore because I'm afraid I'd mess the next number up. <laughs> but it's a principle. And it's very real. And God wants to see that, number one, he can trust us. And number two, that we're obedient. And so you, here's what happens. We put it backwards. We put every, all this stuff backwards. We have all these bills. We have all these things that we, that we pay every month. And so what we say is when we don't tithe, that I'm going to reverence Time Warner every single month. So I'm going to make sure that they get theirs because I don't want to get the cable cut off. So we pay that. And then we say, you know what? I think I'm going to make sure that my power is on. So I'm going to reverence Duke Energy and make sure they keep my lights on and I have air condition and then I'm going to reverence Verizon you know because I got to be able to text and I got to be able to make phone calls so I'm going to reverence them every single month and I'm going to reverence Quicken Loans I got my mortgage you know I don't want to take that away so they pay the mortgage say so, yeah, I'm going to reverence my insurance on my cars and my boat and my business and all the things because I can't have you know car without insurance I'm reverencing that and then I'm gonna reverence my Wayne Memorial Hospital bill because then they're gonna keep calling my house if I don't pay it and then I'm gonna reverence Edward Jones and all my investments because I want to make sure that when I get away and I retire and then when it comes down to it it's like 
we, many of us, fail to reverence God. But we choose all of these other things when understanding that all of that really, the only reason we're able to pay these things is because he's given us that. What we do with every cent that we have says what we believe about Jesus. God hasn't designed giving and tithing for you to become broke. I promise you that. I promise you God has not told you to do this so that you would become broke. God wants to see your commitment to him and honor him. And so here's what I think. I think 10% is a great starting point. I think it's a great starting point, but what would our lives look like if we were able to give like the church in the New Testament, freely and joyfully? What would our church right now, what would our missions look like if we gave as joyfully to the church as I give to my daughter opening her presents, if I give as cheerfully to her because I know what's happening with that money that I give. For some of you, God's blessed you. He's given you so much. I mean, you're just not lacking. And maybe for you, and I'm just telling you to pray about it. Be intentional. You pray and seek him. But he may want you to give more than 10% because of what he's given you, the influence. And he sees that he can trust you. It's not just another bill. It's just not something we do. It's what we believe and who God is. So forget the 10%. Let's just, for a second, don't, let's don't talk about the 10th. Let me ask you this question. Are you given generously? Are you given cheerfully? Are you given sacrificially, spontaneously, regularly, and thankfully? Does your giving move God's heart? And for me, in preparation from this, for this message, God really showed me, and I told this to my wife, and when I told her this, she said, I'm not letting you preach on money anymore. <laughs> but God said to me specifically, Jared, it's just become routine. I don't even think about it. I mean, we pay faithfully every month, but I don't even really think about it anymore. And for me, God said, it's because it doesn't pinch you right now. And I was like, oh. but I knew it was true. And so man and I made a commitment of what we're gonna do because of what God has entrusted us with. And so I say the same to you. Seek him, read what his word says, don't be confused. And let's be the New Testament church that God wants us to be here at the bridge. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your words, it's so true. It's not me, it's not Jared, it's not Pastor Farrell, it's what your word says. And all throughout the scripture, God, we see that you're faithful. And I pray that you would renew our minds and our hearts today about giving. Every person, no matter if they have a little or they have a lot, whether $10 is 10% for them or $10,000 is 10% for them, renew our minds about money, Father. It's what we struggle with. It's what the media tells us we need. It's what culture says we have to have. We just want to be the church you want us to be. So help us give voluntarily, generously. Because when we understand the price that you paid for us and that you died on the cross, we can't help God to make a sacrifice. It's in your name we pray. Amen.